Asshole Court is a bi-weekly podcast in which a group of lifelong friends choose a controversial public figure and examine their history through available public records and various publications to determine if that person is as much of an asshole as the general public suspects. We rate the subjects on a not-so-scientific scale, ranging from Mr. Rogers to Hitler, 1 to 11, and average out the three scores in the end for our final number. Just a reminder, our judgment has no legal weight, is strictly an opinion, and is subject to change at any time, especially in the case of new evidence. It shouldn't be taken seriously, so just don't. There's inherent risk with many jobs. A professional mover may throw out their back when that way too oversized armoire Going down two flights of stairs doesn't quite sit well. A construction worker may snap an arm after falling off some scaffolding, or a hooker may have to go see the clinic after a rendezvous with a John that had some questionable sores on his penis. We've covered crime bosses on our show before, but this show subject was one of the first Dons to take his position to the limelight and put his show on display for all to see. And as you would suspect, an organized crime boss comes with some fairly inherent risks. Al Capone was the king of Chicago in the 1920s, and he ran roughshod around the city with his ring of ruffians and was once viewed as a modern-day Robin Hood, but his violent tactics didn't keep him in the good graces of the public for long. I mean, let's keep it real. There are only so many buildings you can blow up before everybody gets all upset. But looking at the history behind the man they call Scarface, I'm not sure what everyone really expected of this guy. He had the education of a middle schooler and syphilis eating away at his brain from an early age. It's like handing Lenny from Mice and Men a gun and some guys to boss around. Bad combo. But is the lore behind Al Capone the real story? How did he get those scars that gave him the oh-so-famous nickname? Is his family catching royalties off those cigars they sell with his name on them? So get your coat and your Tommy gun ready as we dive into the Al Capone episode of Asshole Court. All right, want to give a shout out for the recommendation of the show. Came to us from one of our Instagram followers, Horny Helen. Horny Helen from Mackinac City, Michigan. Thanks for the shout out. Big but, shout out. Yeah, big yeah. shout out. So, uh, yeah, appreciate that. So, uh, again, we always appreciate all the ideas for your shows, and we're getting a lot of them. So, they're all getting logged, and uh, we're going through them and picking out the ones that we think are the best. That's so. right. Speaking of logs, <laughs> I'm just kidding. So uh, we do have a, a segment here from the inbox. If you guys are uh, you guys are ready, ready, of course. So uh, this one came to us from the Duchess of Snark. Oh on, yeah, on Instagram, and she said, "Guys, I have to tell you about an experience I had with the new Genghis Khan episode. I was zooted on edibles like I usually am Hell yeah. when the new episode dropped. That's what I'm talking about. Edibles make me think a lot about weird shit. This time." I was positing whether people who are about to experience trauma or death go into psychogenic shock and black out immediately beforehand. Then you guys started talking about it. I was floored, and not just by the weed. Your show is the greatest. Keep up the good work. P.S. Nancy Reagan deserves her day in asshole court. That's Ooh, right. That's a good suggestion so, right so there. Remember we were talking about the torture in Genghis Khan? Oh, absolutely. Going into folks. shock? Yep. Yeah, like after like six seconds of downing how, some liquid how long silver. would the yeah. torture actually last? She was thinking about it, and then we, we just... Well, it makes perfect sense, for. because we always eat a large amount of edibles 
before we do the show. <laughs> so I take, a, I mean, so. I take a heroic <laughs> dose of of of, of psychotropics, uh, and then we. We sort of do this, so yeah. I often, I often then we do think research about, papers. Yeah, it's like those stars of death that Joey Diaz is always promoting on the Joe Rogan show. They're like two hundred milligram stars or whatever. I don't know anything about them. that. Oh yeah, they're not, yeah. yeah, yeah. Heroic dose of some uh, hallucinogens. Interesting. So, uh, so there it is. Oh, and we also had one more comment that went along with the Genghis Khan episode. And this one came from Dave Byrne. Dave, one of Dave, our, uh, what's up? Patreon subscribers, and uh, he let us know. That he peed, farted, and yodeled while listening to the it. Genghis Khan episode. <laughs> I love it. So remember, very important fancy yeah. man. Um, I think he shit. Masturbated and shit. Yeah, yeah. masturbated and shit. And Dave uh, peed, farted, and yodeled. We're we're building our own 12 days of Christmas, but with bodily functions. That's right. And episodes. Yeah, exactly. So this one's going to drop, folks. Gosh, when you listen to this. Four things this time. Fart, right. pee, shit, puke. This might be one of the, la- the last podcasts you listen to in 2023, actually. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. but I mean, we kind of brought it upon ourselves when we n- named our top tier of Patreon the Fart Circle. This is true. You yeah. know, so. We did that. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's just kind of like, comes with the territory. Oh, absolutely. Everybody farts. Yeah. That's and right. Was, yeah. Michael Stipe even said it. Michael Stipe said everybody f- Oh, every- everybody <laughs> farts. I was like, he doesn't strike me as a very funny person, but now I understand. Nah. Sometimes. That's right. Sometimes I wake myself up at night. <laughs> awesome. Let's get some pre-show scores for our guy Al Capone. Buddy, what you got? All right. So Al Capone, um, you know, I, I know a little bit about him, not a ton. You know, I remember, I mean, like I've always been interested in the, the mobsters back from the 20s, 30s and 40s. Recently, I've been rewatching The Sopranos. Um, so, you know, I've always, you know, been drawn to at least TV productions of the mob and mafia. So uh, I was a, a really excited that we were picking this show topic. And uh, this is a nice one to end the year on in my opinion but i am not really familiar with what he did for the most part you know i mean i'm uh, listening to randy's intro it sounds like there was a couple of buildings that you know were set ablaze i'm guessing there was uh multiple people that died i believe he was back in the 20s i guess he was uh during the prohibition time he was running a lot of the alcohol during that time oh yeah um, so, I mean, I know he had to get his hands dirty in order to be doing a lot of that, but I really don't have a lot to go on. So, uh, pre-show, I'm going to put him up with a 90s, early 2000, somebody who thought he was a gangster. Um, and I'm going to go with, uh, Suge Knight and pre-show, I'm going to give Al Capone a 7.67. All right. As a pre-show score. All right. 7.67 for buddy. Mikey, what you got about? Al Capone. Yeah, I had a uh, long run there in my teens where I thought the mafia was super cool. You know, organized crime, super cool. And uh, Al Capone, you know, uh, he's like the biggest name there is in organized crime pretty much, right? His hair was gross. Uh, He had some dick-sucking lips. Uh, Oh, really? Oh, yeah, he was rocking some serious DSL. Uh Mm Uh-huh. It's hard not to look at his face and be like, I mean, I guess I'd let him. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> you know you know uh you know about the crime about the murders you know about the syphilitic brain uh you know about but we didn't know about those dick sucking lips we did not but yeah, now you're unaware of until just this moment that's it we're gonna go get a look now you're always gonna be like damn he does have some full ass lips <laughs> <laughs> 
I, was he uh, partnering up with Clyde with like the ringworm and stuff like that? No, with the hookworm, possibly. Uh, the hookworm. Yeah. He had yeah. syphilis, though. That'll slow you down a good bit more yeah. uh, uh, over time. Uh, 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 also, I always think of the Kevin Costner movie, The Untouchables, where yep. uh, De Niro did a great job of playing Al Capone, smashing that dude's head with a baseball bat. Uh, I'm surprised there aren't more movies about Al Capone. Sure. Like, just himself. In fact, Scarface... I was confused when I first watched it. I was like, wait a second, this is about a dude from Cuba yeah. and the Mariel <laughs> boat lift, and I thought this was going to be Al Capone, you know, so it, it didn't happen the way. Anyways, long story short, he was obviously a bad person in terms of crime, and I actually do kind of like the parallel to Suge Knight, so I, you know, I'm going to actually do the same thing. I'm going to go with the 7.67 Suge Knight style. For Al Capone, even though Al Capone is much more effective as a criminal. Yes. But it could have also been the time. There wasn't as many cameras around. You know, you could hide a little bit more. I think easier back in those days. That's true, but yeah, I don't know. I think, uh, honestly, like, if you had to hire a criminal, you're going to hire Al Capone over Suge Knight. Depends on what the crime is, but yeah, probably. It's true. Running an organization, I'd go with Al Capone. Yeah. Yeah. So, honestly, pre-show... I'm looking at our chart, and he parallels real close to John Gotti. You That's know? very true. Oh, of course. And we'll talk about it a little bit in the show about a lot of mob bosses, you don't ever hear about them, That's right. ever. And that's intentional of on course. their part. Very intentional. Ideally. Yeah. No one's supposed to know who they really are. Mm-mm. Wasn't uh, Gotti one of the first ones to really be out in the open? And Capone was the, the, the original yeah. one to wear the suits, you know, be the Robin Hood, mm-hmm. um, spread wealth to the community. But John Gotti had it in a time where there was a lot more paparazzi and yeah, newspaper uh-huh. and media coverage and all that. The rule of thumb is you want to be like Carlo Gambino. Uh-huh. That you know, dude di- died of old age yep. and just ran it for years yeah. and just didn't, yeah. The head of the Gambino crime family. Mm-hmm. Which is inconspicuous. Like, uh, yes. Just yeah. inconspicuous and just did his thing and never went to prison. Yep. Yeah, I just remember him from a lot of rap songs. Uh, yeah. More so than anything that I know about him. Yeah, well, uh, the, the rap songs are much more childish than Carlos. Well, yeah, yeah. Carlo Gambino was uh, notoriously yes. a great battle rapper. <laughs> <laughs> so I was wondering if you guys both missed my childish. Yeah, childish Gambino. Gambino. Yeah. All right, and then Mikey. Good job, sir. All right. Long story short, I'm putting him up with John Gotti. Eight point three three pre-show. Eight point three three from Randy. All right, with a 7.67 from Buddy, a 7.67 from Mikey, and an 8.33 from Randy, Al Capone's pre-show asshole score is a 7.89. 7.89 pre-show. Interesting. Just above Ron Jeremy at 7.8. <laughs> and just below Freak Show, no, I'm sorry, uh, Super, Super Freak. Freak. Not for, for Freak Show and Super Freak, yes. Rick James, yeah. at 7.99. So, yeah, 7.89 pre-show. And Andrew Jackson. Yeah, and Andrew oh, Jackson. Yeah, That's yeah, right. Yeah. Right up in there. So, do you guys remember why Six was scared? 100%. Because 7.89. Seven, eight, eight, nine. Nine. It's classic. Because right. Al Capone. That, That's it. That's right. Laffy Taffy style. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. You guys ready to organize this stuff and racketeer some shit? I'm ready to kill people for money. Sounds good. Alphonse Gabriel Capone was born January 17, 1899 in Brooklyn, New York, as one of eight children to Gabrielle and Therese Capone. Brooklyn! That's right. Al's parents and an older brother arrived in New York aboard a ship full of immigrants with little on their backs and in their wallet in the early 1890s. Although they didn't come with much, 
Al's father was educated and was confident in his ability to get things going in the new world. After moving into a house on Navy Street, their father Gabriel purchased a small house where he used the side room as a salon to work as a barber. Huh. Yeah, so his dad was a barber, but they said back in Italy, um, he was a much more craft-skilled you know, worker. Okay. He could do a lot more things, but a barber is what was able to get work as when he came to A highly America. educated barber. That's exactly right. He told many good fables and stories a, when you go get a haircut. It was the equivalent of like those old women that have like the shops in their garage where the ladies go in there and they get their hair done up, sit underneath the blow dryers, you know, That's and right. talk shit about For each other. And, and mm-hmm. yeah. Young Al was born a few years after they arrived and was followed by an army of kids. Salvatore, John, Albert, Matthew, Rose, and Mafalda. To go along with Vicenzo and Alphonse, you had a full Godfather cast ready to go. With his parents coming over from Italy, Al always made it a point to let people know he was born in Brooklyn. I'm no Italian, he would protest if the press gave his birthplace as Naples or Sicily. Life in the sector where Al lived in his first 10 years or so was tough, but the neighborhood is where Al learned his way in life. The stories I read talked about a rough but bustling neighborhood with games of stickball on the streets, vendors lining the curb, selling their wares, people dodging traffic, and the fire escapes that lined the street from the apartments shaking when the L train rolled through. I love the the names of their kids, too. They're like Vincenzo, Tony, Steve, <laughs> yeah, Mafalda, yeah. Yeah. Matthew, Rose, yeah, Salvatore, then you had John. Matthew. Yeah. John. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, you had John, Matt, Rose. Spaghetti. But then you had Sal. <laughs> yeah, forget about it. Yeah. And that's a name that didn't carry on was Mafalda. Mafalda, yeah. I've yeah, never heard that name before ever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me neither. Only in the, uh, the Life Alert commercials. Mafalda, <laughs> I can't, can't get, get up. up. <laughs> nice. You're welcome, everyone. <laughs> yeah. Al went to public school number seven. It was generally regarded as a decent student, but what comes as no shocker, he had trouble with the rules at a strict parochial Catholic school. His schooling came to a screeching halt at the age of 14 after he was expelled for landing a right cross on a nun. Oh, oh damn. I bet Sister Catherine didn't see that one coming. <laughs> nope, they put her to sleep. <laughs> Can you Man. imagine throwing a punch at a nun? Yeah. Jeez. God, I wonder, if, I guess, I mean, do you believe in God? Because I feel like that would be really testing your faith there. And what is that, like back in 1910 or something like that? Yeah, right around, right like, at, yeah, at 13, 1913, 14. Yeah. What would the Jesus. time frame equivalent be for world star hip hop at that <laughs> point? <laughs> world star. <laughs> Did you see Al today? Oh, shit. Yeah. Yeah, he never, ever went back to school after that. But, no <laughs> shit. That was the extent of his education. Yeah, if you're Italian, you're going to Catholic schools, and then his reputation precedes him. <laughs> he knocked out Sister Mary Catherine, world star. <laughs> after getting the boot from school, Capone worked at odd jobs around Brooklyn, including a candy store and a bowling alley. From 1916 to 1918, he played semi-professional baseball. I didn't know that. I did not know this oh, really? at all. Yep. One of Al's older brothers, Ralph, began playing ball in 1912 as an 18-year-old with a team called the Algerians, which I don't know how they got that name, but whatever. You know, hey, why not? Yeah. Al, who was five years younger, would go anywhere that Ralph would go, and the two played for St. Michael's Church in 1916. When the roster started turning over, the brothers formed the Al Capone Stars in 1918. God. Said he was the boss even back then, said one historian who discussed that time. Ralph started out as a pitcher, and the teenaged Al was a right-handed first baseman. The team wasn't very good at the beginning, and they lost most of their games. But once they found their stride, Al moved from first base to the mound. The budding gangster was then five foot ten and two hundred pounds. 
He didn't get fat until he went to Chicago, historian Mario Gomes noted. Even as a ball player, Capone brought the heat and landed in the headlines. The feature of the game was the twirling of Al Capone, who whiffed 15 of the opposing batsmen. Al got three hits, including a double, gushed a June 6, 1918 story in the Brooklyn Citizen about the team's 13-6 victory over Lockport. Now, they said that he didn't get fat, but like 5'10 and 200 pounds in 1916 is a, a big, beefy son of a bitch. <laughs> yeah, yeah, dude, that's a it big dude. Yeah. Like, when everybody was like 5'6, five, 5'7, five, and like dude. maybe 120 or something. And he got a crow hop on Sister Mary Catherine. <laughs> I can't, but I think, just. But I'm, I was fairly impressed by that fucking game set. 15 strikeouts. Oh, yeah, that's amazing. Three 15 Ks, hits. baby. 15 Ks is a strong game. He yeah. was like that guy from Seattle back in the. Back in the day, Randy Johnson. Yeah, he was like yeah. Randy Johnson on the mound, pretty but much. Also, the team that they're playing is some like dudes that like literally live in a tenement down the street. You <laughs> oh, know yeah. What I mean? oh yeah, oh yeah. He's a bat with an axe handle. They, they, He's a hungry <laughs> fighter. He's actually fighting for a sandwich. <laughs> they they bragged about one game in 1916 that attracted 3,000 fans. That that's was, pretty big. That's pretty, pretty big. big. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. like college. Yep. Back yeah. then, it was local baseball covered by the local papers, the Brooklyn Citizen and the Brooklyn Times Union. That really adds some color to that uh, Robert De Niro scene then with the baseball bat talking about baseball there and then go. smashing that dude's head. There you ah, go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. One, One of the reasons. Teenage years. Yeah, absolutely. One of the reasons this rich background eluded historians for so long is because Capone's name was often misspelled as Capone or Carpony. Carpony. Mm-hmm. C-A-R-P-O-N-E-Y. Hmm. They misspelled it a few times. Hey, Car- Carpone. Yeah. Get over here. Mass Carpone. Uh-huh. He's like the inside of some sort of uh, hoity-toity European chocolate. That's right. Even as I was balling out on the diamond, he was still working in the underworld, initially becoming involved in small-time gangs with names straight out of movies like Gangs in New York that included the Junior 40 Thieves and the Bowery Boys. Bowery Boys oh. are for real. Bowery Boys yeah. are for real. Yeah, the Dead Rabbits, the Bowery Boys, that was all very real. He then joined the Brooklyn Rippers and then the powerful Five Points Gang based in Lower Manhattan. How'd you Manhattan. get your name, the Rippers? Did you kill know. somebody? He nah, said, rip nah. my underwear on the way to the meeting. <laughs> he said, we rip huge farts. <laughs> <laughs> the crop dusters was already taken. Pugs keep pooters. Al gave up baseball at the end of 1918 when his girlfriend, May, got pregnant with her son, Albert Francis Sonny Capone. The proud dad received his famous facial scars four days after Sonny's birth. During this time, he was employed and mentored by a fellow racketeer, a guy by the name of Frankie Yale. Yale had built his turf not through astute diplomacy like the gentleman Torio, but on sheer brutality. Yale opened up a bar, the Harvard Inn, on Coney Island, and gave the softly spoken Capone his first job and introduced him to violent crime. Wait, so his name was, last name was Yale, and he opened up a bar called the Harvard Inn. That's exactly right. Okay, <laughs> all right. Yep, and he's a Princeton something. Yeah. Capone inadvertently insulted a woman while working the door, and he was slashed with a knife three times on the left side of his face by her brother, Frank Galluccio. The wounds led to the nickname Scarface, which Capone loathed. When he was photographed, Capone often hid the scarred left side of his face, saying that the injuries were war wounds. Yeah. He said, don't get this side of my face, just get these luscious lips. <laughs> but yeah, so if you ever, that's where Scarface came from, is Al wow. Capone. Yeah. yeah. And Talk he had some also, to he some had chick and... Four days after his kid was born. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah, exactly. And he got slashed up in the face. Well, and he also had really bad acne. So like, <laughs> they called like, him Moonface. <laughs> he was being proactive. He was being proactive. Yeah, yeah. He was like Edward James almost. <laughs> oh man, 
Cut it off. A few weeks later, Capone married May. It was time to put on his big boy pants. <laughs> he gets it's like married with his fucking face all slashed. That's up. exactly right. <laughs> yeah. w- great wedding picture. Yeah, she's fucking baby, fresh out of the fucking yeah. womb, and his face is cut up. Let's go to the courthouse, yeah. May. Oh, they're such an adorable young couple. <laughs> Stand still for seventeen minutes while That's I take right. this picture. Yeah, <laughs> just the right side of my face. <laughs> it was also around this time that Capone met the gangster Johnny the Fox Torrio which would prove the greatest influence on the would-be gangland boss. Torrio taught Capone the importance of maintaining a respectable front while still making money on prostitution, bootlegging, extortion, and running a racketeering business. The slightly built Torrio represented a new dawn in criminal enterprise, transforming a violently crude culture into a more corporate empire. In 1919, Capone left New York City for Chicago at the invitation of Torrio, who was summoned by crime boss James Big Jim Colosimo, as an enforcer. Capone began in Chicago as a bouncer in a brothel. Eager to partake in the business's offerings, Capone sampled many of the prostitutes working there and soon enough contracted syphilis. Don't you know? Oh, no. (laughs) Capone was too ashamed to seek out medical attention for his venereal disease, and as a result, the disease was allowed to fester and progress in an unchecked manner. But that's even their treatment for it back then. It was like, pour mercury down your pee hole. (laughs) They they had an initial... uh, medication that would have kind of helped it, they said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mercury yeah. down your pee hole. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we're going to circle back to syphilis here in a little bit. Tired of commercials in the middle of your asshole court episodes? Do you want to say in the next show's subject or the next conspiracy we discuss? Well, now you can. Go to patreon.com and find us at AHC Podcast. Get those ad-free shows you want. Get some input on who you want to hear about and become internet famous with a shout-out on one of our shows. We've even got stickers and swag to show off to all your friends, and you'll get all of our new Conspiracy Court episodes. Go to patreon.com today and find us at AHC Podcast. So Prohibition had made booze illegal in the U.S. and the weekend's much less entertaining for an entire nation. And as we all know, if there's something people are told they can't do, they're going to want to do it. Long story short, there was a lot of money to be made in illegal booze sales. Capone and his boss, the Fox, were ready to cash in. But the main boss, Big Jim, wasn't down, and he wasn't going to budge. Big Jim Colosimo? Big Jim Colosimo. Badass name. Man, and I I actually went down a little Wikipedia rabbit hole on Mm -hmm. him. Looked not like a guy, not like a gangster. Didn't look like Colosimo? He looked like a a fat librarian from the 30s. Okay. But apparently, like, loved hookers and killing people. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah. Bring old Colosimo in. Some more mercury in here for my pee hole. (laughs) He said, I've been slaying hookers all weekend. I'm fucking double sided. (laughs) Come on in here, Alphonse. We're going to spit roast this one. She's definitely got the syphilis. Hey, me too, boss. Yeah. That's why we're so violent. Our brains are rotting. So isn't that like why, like, back in the day, peop- I've heard that, like, uh, if you would drink tea with your pinky up, that was like at parties you would do that because that would be the indicator that you had, like, syphilis or something. Oh, kind man. Of- we talked about I've that on the show. That. Really? Yeah. yeah I, you, I, you told us about this, Mikey. Oh, I, I, I have syphilis. <laughs> I have a syphilitic mind myself. Because honestly, I would be like, I'm not letting anybody know I have syphilis. But that's no, how you knew who to hook up with back in those days. Oh, buddy, you are exactly right. We talked about it on the show. I remember sitting right here. And I was talking about that. Mm. Maybe I was the one that brought it up. Maybe so. Maybe. I don't recall that. I just yeah. all I know is about the Merkins. 
Which Mercurians? Is a, no, the Americans with their little pubic wigs because they had scars and <laughs> they had to just wear little wigs on their pubes. Pubic wigs. <laughs> That's right, it's a pubic wig. Yeah. And and they're like, oh, I got fucking, yeah, they're like, oh, my fucking junk looks like Edward James Olmos's face. They're, so they have to put a little merkin on, you know? It's like Make parted it down the middle like Moe's hair off of the Three Stooges. <laughs> there was a neighborhood near mine named like <laughs> Merkin, Merkin Forest. Merkin Forest, yeah. <laughs> It wasn't the same spelling. But. No, but I was immediately like, oh, pubic wig forest, huh? That's what I'm talking about. Yuck, yuck, yuck. <laughs> oh, man. Fucking wise guy. We have digressed. <laughs> I mean, we're talking about syphilis. This it is, is true. Yeah. This is true. All right, so Big Jim wasn't going to budge on the alcohol sales. Sternly against any any part of the alcohol sales whatsoever. And what can only be described as something straight out of a mob movie. On May 11, 1920, Torio called and told Colosimo that a shipment of alcohol was about to arrive at his restaurant. Colosimo drove there to await it, but instead, he was shot in an ambush and killed. Frankie Yale, who owned Harvard Bar, had allegedly traveled from New York to Chicago and personally killed longtime gang boss Colosimo at the behest of Torio and Capone. Hmm. Although suspected by Chicago police, Yale was never charged. Capone was also suggested as the gunman, as well as Colosimo's ex-wife, who was unhappy with the financial arrangements of their divorce, and uh, she was also theorized to have arranged the murder. Yeah, but he actually lived and had a Colostomo bag, <laughs> and then... <laughs> Which was way different back then. That's it, oh, yeah. yeah. Frankie Yale opened up Harvard Yard, and then also Brown <laughs> with his Colostomo bag. I'm going with the Ivy League jokes I and poop jokes. I'm seeing this. With Colostomo out of the way now, Johnny the Fox was now in charge, and Scarface Al Capone was number two in charge of the largest organized crime ring in Chicago, named the Chicago Outfit. Okay. So Johnny the Fox Torrio was wary of being drawn into gang wars and tried to negotiate agreements over territory between rival crime groups. The smaller Northside gang, led by Dean O'Banion, came under pressure from the Jenna brothers, who were aligned with Torrio. O'Banion rules! That's right. <laughs> and O'Banion found that Torrio was unhelpful when the Jennas approached him, despite being known as somewhat of a peacemaker. In a fateful step... Torrio arranged the murder of O'Banion at his own flower shop on November 10th, 1924. So they mm. killed this guy. That at his own flower at shop. his own flower shop. That was like out of that movie with, uh, God, what was it? Uh, not Matt Damon, the other guy. Ben, ben, Affleck. ben Affleck in the town. He oh, came yeah, in yeah. And he came in and killed that guy in the flower shop. You know, it's sort of like when uh, the, the T-800 takes that shotgun out of that box of roses in That's T-2. That's right. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's like doves flying off when you shoot <laughs> and roses. I mean, flowers and guns just go together. That's exactly right. Yeah. Your gift, gi your next gift-giving holiday. That's right. Yeah, guns That's and roses. That's what I got for <laughs> <laughs> guns and roses, yeah. That's there what I scared the shit out of my wife. <laughs> So with his murder, this placed Jaime Weiss at the head of the Northside gang, backed by two dudes by the names of Vincent Drucci and Bugs Moran. Weiss had been a close friend of Abanion, and with the Northsiders, they made this a priority to get revenge on his killers. Well, they made this happen. When Johnny the Fox was out on the town picking up an order from Instacart, he ventured back home only to be ambushed by Weiss's men. And just like 50 Cent, he got shot a bunch of times, but he lived to tell about it. Oh, snaps. Yep. But this took a huge mental toll on Torrio, and after he recovered, he decided to get out of the game completely and handed control to Capone, age 26 at the time, who became the new boss. 
Huh. At 26. 26. So wow. pretty much they moved to from New York to Chicago. Yeah. At the request of the big boss. Mm-hmm. They killed him. Revenge was exacted. The guy freaked out and gave Capone the keys. Yeah. Can you imagine that? Hey, it's yours now. Why are you giving it to me? I don't know. He's like, you got fucking blood all over you, dude. Are you okay? <laughs> you look really scared. <laughs> Just take it. Just take it. Hey, what? But how did you get to be the boss anyways? Whatever happened to Clostomo? I just don't, I don't know. I mean, I feel like I'm not ready for this. <laughs> One of Capone's favorite games to play with the neighborhood businesses owners was, how safe do you want to feel? Extorting the business owners to pay his goons for protection was a requirement, and the price to pay could have cost you your life. Any establishment that refused to purchase liquor from Capone often got blown up, and as many as 100 people were killed in such bombings during the 1920s. On a much more positive note, rivals saw Capone as responsible for the proliferation of brothels in the city. Mr. Capone loved him some whores. <laughs> and Al didn't seem to discriminate. He often enlisted the help of local members of the black community into his operation. Jazz musicians Milt Hinton and Lionel Hampton had uncles who worked for Capone on Chicago's South Side. And there's hmm. one small fact that I learned about Al Capone that I think we can all thank him for. He's responsible, possibly, for requiring expiration dates on milk. No what? shit. Incredible but true... It was thanks to Al Capone. It said that this was caused by the intoxication of one of his granddaughters that got sick by expired milk. After the episode, Al Capone insisted that milk get an expiry date to keep the children safe and pregnant women safe as well. I feel like it's good that we have that, but also if you're chugging milk and it's bad and you don't know, yeah, something's wrong with your fucking mouth. They yeah, said, or you're like your your sense of smell yeah. because I mean that's something that I mean. Oh, it's buttermilk. Yeah, I it's, love it. it should it be smells good. like vinegar. God. Yeah. At the time, there were a few regulations on milk production, and Capone lobbied the Chicago City Council to get a law that prevent more babies from getting sick. Don't let the babies get sick. Let's think about the children. <laughs> I bombed the shit out of this guy for not buying my liquor. Yeah. <laughs> Joe's fruit stand gone. <laughs> Joe. Gone. (laughs) (laughs) Expiration date. Yeah, needed. (laughs) Fire sale. Yeah, no, that's wild. Honestly, God, I've have you ever drinking bad milk? Yeah, yeah. I never have. It's always been one of my biggest fears. Oh, it's rough. It's got to be. It's rough. The one that I drank, it did not smell sour, but it was already curdled. Oh, and when I drank it, it was like uh, it's like yogurt. Ugh. That was the classic. Remember what was it? The cement mixer drink that you supposed to yeah. give to an asshole? Give him Bailey's Irish cream and a, and a shot of Rose's lime juice, and it just oh. curdles in their mouth. <laughs> yeah, it's a fun trick for, to play for your friends that you don't like. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> I got this new drink. It's called the cement mixer. You're gonna love it, asshole. It's called Al Capone's granddaughter, <laughs> Rose. <laughs> That's right. By this point, Capone's enterprise was raking in money hand over fist with their bootlegging operation, along with the rest of the nefarious activities. Capone indulged in custom suits, cigars, gourmet food and drink, and female companionship. Already having contracted syphilis years prior, I'm sure the poor ladies that night that had to go down on him were quickly looking for Listerine and a penicillin shot. Gross. He was nasty. (laughs) God, but you think he could go down on himself, though, with those luscious lips? That's right. He wished he could. He yeah. could. He put himself in the fucking Chinese pretzel like Ron Jeremy. Ah, that, <laughs> that little fat belly of his uh-huh. preventing him from getting all the way down there. I don't know. Ron Jeremy can do it, and he's got a fat little belly, too. Well, Ron Jeremy also has a foot-long dick, too. Uh, Al Capone. It Might have. Doubt it. Either that or he was the original Marilyn Manson inspiration. He That's had a couple right. ribs, ribs removed. removed. 
like an Italian deli. <laughs> got meat hanging. Yeah, no, that's gross. Yeah. Um, what does syphilis like look like? Is it like a sores? Is that was it sores? In, in the beginning, it's sores, and then like once the sores heal, the virus actually goes into your body and it starts to eat away at your liver and your and brain. Your bones. Yeah. Ouch. Yeah, it's a real bummer, yeah, it's, man. It's no bueno. So sores on your wiener, huh? That's yeah. got to be a real bitch. Yep. And he was particularly known for his flamboyant and costly jewelry. His favorite responses to questions about his activities were, I'm just a businessman giving the people what they want. Which is syphilis. (laughs) (laughs) They all want syphilis. That's all they want. And (laughs) expiration dates on their milk. And his next line fits perfectly. All I do is satisfy a public demand. Yeah. (laughs) That's it. All I do is just satisfy woman after woman after woman. Capone had become a national celebrity and talking point. Al Cabone. Al Caboner. He was the blueprint for guys that followed C fellow AHC court alum John Gotti. Mm-hmm. Capone based himself on the west side of Chicago in Cicero, Illinois, and used bribery and widespread intimidation to take over town council elections, making it difficult for the Northsiders to target him. On September 20th, 1926, the Northsiders used a ploy outside Capone's headquarters at the Hawthorne Inn aimed at drawing him to the windows. Gunmen in several cars then opened fire with Thompson machine guns and shotguns at the windows of the first floor restaurant. Capone was unhurt and called for a truce, but the negotiations fell through. So pretty much they caused a ruckus that got him to walk towards the window and then open fire. There's a bunch of whores out here, Al! (laughs) Come take a look! Come take a look at the window! There's a bunch of whores with expired milk over here! But uh, so he's not with the Northsiders? No, he's against the Northsiders. Okay. Yeah, he's the Chicago outfit. He's in the West Got Side. It. Yeah, the Chicago outfit. The Northsiders are out to get him. That's uh, Weiss and Bugsy Moran. Got it. Okay. Yeah. So anyway, uh, the negotiations fell through when he tried to call peace. And three weeks later, on October 11th, Weiss was killed outside of the Northsiders' headquarters at O'Banion's former flower shop yet again. I like the uh, the idea of Weiss like walking out there and then dudes pull out guns. He's like, "Time out! Time out! Time out! Time out! I'm on base. I touch you can't." <laughs> if they had like tag rules, <laughs> shit, he's not two steps off the of base yet. <laughs> Fuck. After watching some of those closest to him get capped in the ass, Capone became increasingly security minded and desirous of getting away from Chicago. As a precaution, he and his entourage would often show up to one of Chicago's train depots and buy up an entire sleeper car and a night train to Cleveland, Omaha, Kansas City, Little Rock, or Hot Springs, Arkansas, where they would spend a week in luxury hotel suites under assumed names. In 1928, Capone paid $40,000 to Clarence Bush of the Anheuser-Busch Brewing family for a 10,000-square-foot home at 93 Palm Avenue in Palm Island, Florida, between Miami and Miami Beach. I Googled it. It's, it's very nice. Ni- it's a nice place. And That's Jesus, what well, was forty thousand back in the twenties? Yeah, a lot. But he I always it from imagine, the Bush family. Yeah, 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 yeah. I always imagine him in his robe fishing off that dock. Off with the his, back there, with his syphilis. Yeah, <laughs> there actually was a movie with Tom Hardy playing him that got really bad reviews. Huh. Really, it seemed like it could be good, but it was also like him being entirely just inundated with syphilis. Tom Hardy, syphilis, fishing in a robe in Miami. Yeah, I feel like that. I feel like maybe I've seen this movie now that you I say that. Seen the commercials Arca- for it. Yeah, it got reviews that were so bad that it stopped me from watching it. Ah, damn. And I'm surprised because Tom Hardy's pretty good. Yeah. So. yeah, I love Tom Hardy. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, it's cool. In November 1925, Capone's consigliere Antonio Lombardo 
was named head of the Union Siciliana, a Sicilian-American benevolent society that had been corrupted by gangsters. <laughs> you don't say. You don't say, right? <laughs> the Sicilians, <laughs> well, those guys are upstanding citizens. <laughs> An infuriated Joe Aiello, who had wanted to the position himself, believed Capone was responsible for Lombardo getting the job, obviously, and resented the non-Sicilians' attempts to manipulate affairs within the Union. Aiello severed all personal and business ties with Lombardo and entered into a full feud with Capone. Aiello aligned himself with several of Capone's enemies, including Jack Zuda, who ran vice and gambling houses together, and Aiello plotted to eliminate both of them, starting on the spring of 1927 and made several attempts to assassinate Capone. On one occasion, Aiello offered money to the chef of Joseph Diamond Joe Esposito's Bella Napoli's Cafe, Capone's favorite restaurant, to put pruic acid in Capone and Lombardo's soup. What is that? I don't know what pruic acid is or prussic acid. Oh, Prussian. Prussic acid. It sounds very deadly. Yeah, yeah prussic acid into Capone and Lombardo's soup. Reports indicated he offered between $10,000 and $35,000. Instead, the chef exposed the plot to Capone, who responded by dispatching men to destroy Aloe's bakery uh, with machine gun fire. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and then he made him eat LSD, the <laughs> surgic, and then it was a summer of love, and they all got along. During the summer and autumn of 1927, a number of hitmen Aiello hired to kill Capone were themselves slain. Among them were Anthony Russo and Vincent Spacuza, each of whom had been offered $25,000 by Aiello to kill Capone and Lombardo. Aiello eventually offered $50,000 to anyone who could eliminate Capone. That's a lot of money. At least 10 gunmen tried to collect on the bounty, but ended up dead. Damn. Capone's ally, Richard Sheldon, attempted to kill both Capone and Lombardo at ILO's reward, but Capone's henchman, Frank Nitti's intelligence network, learned of the transaction and had Sheldon shot in front of the West Side Hotel, although he did survive to tell about it. Well, what about the prostitute that gave him syphilis? Would she get the award since she killed him slowly? I mean, slowly over time. Yeah. 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 But that's wild. They hired fucking 13 hitmen, yeah. and 10 of them wound up dead. And $50,000. I want to know what Inflation Calculator says about that. That's a lot of money. Yeah. Well, let's check that real quick. Because, I mean, I'll kill somebody for $50,000 now. <laughs> That's at Mikey at AMC yeah. Podcast. It depends on who it is. You know, it's got to be a real asshole. So $50,000 in 1927. That would be $838,409.60. Yeah, almost a, mil, almost a million bucks. To wipe out Alphonse Capone. That's right. That's well. That's a nice bounty. Yeah. Jesus, yeah. Especially back then. Like, yeah. Million dollars. Oh, you and would, shit. You watch like First 48 and shit. Those hitmen are taking like 10 Gs. It's the cost of a nice desk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Chicago politicians had long been associated with questionable methods and even newspaper circulation wars, but the need for bootleggers to have protection in City Hall introduced a far more serious level of violence and graft. Capone is generally seen as having an appreciable effect in bringing about the victory of Republican mayoral candidate William Hale Thompson, who had campaigned on a platform of not enforcing prohibition at one time and hinted that he'd reopen illegal saloons. Thompson allegedly accepted a contribution of $250,000 from Capone. Dang. So if $50,000 was worth a million, million. then, that's, that's five, five million. Five million bucks he gave the fucking Republican uh, mayor. I know. And mayor, even, not governor, I mayor know. Even of Even now, some of the stuff you see, they get paid off by like $40,000 or something like that. And they're like 
congressman. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. What the fuck? What Thompson beat Democratic candidate William Emmert Dever in the 1927 mayoral race by a relatively slim margin. On the day of the so-called pineapple primary on April 10th, voting booths were targeted by Capone's bomber James Belcastro in ward where Thompson's opponents were thought to have support, causing the deaths of at least 15 people. Ooh. Pineapple? What was it called? It's called the pineapple primary. Mmm, that sounds delicious. Belcastro was accused of the murder of Octavius Granati, an African-American who challenged Thompson's candidate for the black vote and was being chased through the streets on polling day by cars of gunmen before being shot dead. God almighty! Four policemen were charged among those with the Belcastro crime, but all charges were dropped after key witnesses recanted their statements. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. You didn't see nothing. That's right. <laughs> Yeah, can you imagine that? You're like, oh, it's it's polling day. I've got a good feeling about this. I think I'm going to win. I'm going to go, yeah. Smash cut. Ten minutes later, you're running down the street. People like chasing <laughs> you with <laughs> guns. I'm, I'm just I'm dropping out. And some, and some of them are the cops. Yeah. yeah. Oh I'm dropping God. out. I'm, <laughs> yeah, you're, I'm declaring my candidacy over. <laughs> Where do I give my concession my speech? Yeah. An indication of the attitude of local law enforcement toward Capone's organization came in 1931. When Belcastro was wounded in a shooting, police suggested to skeptical journalists that Belcastro was an independent operator. So again, Belcastro, um, yeah, he was the one that was bombing people. Oh, okay. And they pretty much knew it. And they're like, no, 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 he did this independently. Yeah, he had nothing to do with that. He just felt like blowing stuff up for, <laughs> for fun. You know, He's a free agent. Yeah. yeah. Then there was the one incident that is so famous that it had its own nickname. Capone was widely assumed to have been responsible for ordering the 1929 St. Valentine's Day Day Massacre, massacre. despite being in his Florida home at the time of the massacre. It wasn't me. I wasn't there. That's right. The massacre was an attempt to eliminate Bugs Moran, who by then had become head of the Northside gang, and the motivation for the plan may have been the fact that some expensive whiskey illegally imported from Canada through the Detroit River had been hijacked while it was being transported to Cook County, Illinois. Mm-hmm. Who's got my Crown Royal shipment? That's mm-hmm. right. What the fuck? Moran was the last survivor of the Northside gunman. His succession had come about because his similarly aggressive predecessors, Weiss and Vincent Drushi, had been killed in the violence that followed the murder of the original leader, Dean O'Banion. So remember we talked about... O'Banion rules. O'Banion rules. This is the trickle down. Now Bugs Moran, who... That, that name sounds familiar in movies and stuff. Because right? I feel like via Bugs Bunny... And then you also have Rick Moranis, Rick Moranis, and also and Bugsy, Bugsy Siegel, Bugsy Siegel. Yeah. and then yeah, Dick Tracy styled bad guys, Prune Face or Big Dick. <laughs> <laughs> he was my favorite character. Big Dick was awesome. Yeah. yeah. To monitor their targets, habits, and movements, Capone's men rented an apartment across from the trucking warehouse from the street of Moran's headquarters. Good apartmentfinder.com. Yeah. <laughs> hey, look, it's right across the street. Pretty affordable. That's all right. All oh, right. the utilities are included. <laughs> nice. Does it have a workout center? <laughs> look at the view. <laughs> On the morning of Thursday, February 14th, 1929, Capone's lookout signaled four gunmen disguised as police officers to initiate a police raid. The faux police lined the seven victims along a wall and signaled for accomplices armed with machine guns and shotguns. Moran was not one of the victims. Photos of the slain victims shocked the public and damaged Capone's image. Within days, Capone received a summons to testify before a Chicago grand jury on charges of federal prohibition violations, but he claimed to be unwell and couldn't attend. I can't make it. I've got syphilis. I don't feel good. (laughs) Yeah. My dick's got sores on them. I can't make it. They're open today. Oh. 
Weeping. Oh. Oh. You had to go there, Mikey. Yeah. I know. It's the worst. <laughs> I got my weeping willow. Uh-uh. No. No, I'm in my, I'm in my robe. <laughs> Is that guy's dick? <laughs> in the wake of the St. Valentine's Day massacre, Walter A. Strong, publisher of the Chicago Daily News, decided to ask his friend, President Herbert Hoover, for federal intervention to stem Chicago's lawlessness. He arranged a secret meeting at the White House just two weeks after Hoover's inauguration. On March 19, 29, Strong, joined by Frank Loesch of the Chicago Crime Commission and Laird Bell, made their case to the president. In Hoover's 1952 memoir, the president reported that Strong argued Chicago was in the hands of gangsters, that the police and magistrates were completely under their control, that the federal government was the only force by which the city's ability to govern itself could be restored. At once, I directed that all to the federal agencies concentrate upon Mr. Capone and his allies. Enter Elliot Ness. That's exactly yeah. right. Yep. That meeting launched a multi-agency attack on Capone. Treasury and Justice Departments developed plans for income tax prosecutions against Chicago gangsters and a small elite squad of Prohibition Bureau agents whose name included the great Elliot Ness were deployed against bootleggers. In a city used to corruption, these lawmen were incorruptible. Charles Swartz, a writer for the Chicago Daily News, dubbed them the Untouchables. To support federal efforts, Strong secretly used his newspaper's resources to gather and share intelligence on the Capone outfit. So yeah. That's how they got that name, was that they're uncorruptible. That's right, the Untouchables. Yeah. And that's, I always think of the Kevin Costner movie, and it had, uh, what's it, Sean Connery. Yeah. Uh-huh. And then he's like, oh, you brought a knife to a gunfight, did you? Mm-hmm. And then he gets killed, and then it's kind of funny. But also, there's a scene where they're all shooting, there's like a big shootout, and then the baby carriage is getting bouncing down the stairs, and... <laughs> Kevin Costner has to like save the baby carriage and kill everybody else. <laughs> it's really great. Huh. <laughs> I don't remember that. Yeah. Or, or what was the movie with Christian Bale and maybe Johnny Depp? Oh, uh, was that the God was it called like Wise Guys or, or something like something that? like that. But yeah, like it was basically based on that whole like Christian Bale was an untouchable in that sense. Like he could not be corrupted and he yeah. picked his own people yeah. and yeah, they went after everybody. Which does remind days. me of the '80s TV show Wise Guy with Richard Grieco. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, talk about memory unlocked! Man. I forgot about Richard Grieco. I don't know if I ever got into that one. I don't think I remember, but I mean, Richard Grieco was a sex beast. He was. <laughs> <laughs> Buddy, your score is too low. That person was definitely a giant asshole, and you rated them like they were Justin Bieber. Wouldn't you like to tell us what you think? Well, now you can. Check us out on all of our social media pages and tell us what you think about our scores, shows, and good looks. We'd love to hear what you think. Pucker up, Buttercup. It's back to asshole court. On March 27, 1929, Capone was arrested by FBI agents as he left the Chicago courtroom after testifying to the grand jury that was investigating violations of federal prohibition laws. He was charged with contempt of court for feigning illness to avoid that earlier appearance. And on May 16th, Capone was arrested in Philadelphia for carrying a concealed weapon. He had gone to a movie, and when the movie was over, two detectives were waiting for him. Taking off his 11.5 carat diamond pinky ring, Capone gave it to his lawyer to pass on to his brother Ralph, and he was packed off to the Holmesburg County Jail and finally to the Eastern Penitentiary, where he stayed until 1930. I like how we got like an attendance reminder. He like called out of work for being like sick, and they're like, "No, uh, 
That's right. <laughs> That's exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> and when they came out to arrest him, he had an 11 and a half carat diamond pinky ring. No, Jesus man. 11 Christ. and a half carats, dude. Think yeah. about how big that is. Stupid. Stupid big. Yeah, it's just a big chunk of ice. Yeah, when they, <laughs> they arrested him, he gave it to his brother. I thought that was just kind of kind of funny. All right. He left the running of the business to his brother, Ralph, a guy named Jack Guzzi, and Frank Nitty, the enforcer. The cops were bound to determine to put a stop to this and wanted to send a message, and they arrested Ralph Capone as well. When they obtained an indictment for Ralph on tax evasion, they arrested him in a Friday night boxing match with many in attendance. Ralph Capone? Ralph Capone. I like. I just like to imagine he's like Ralph Wiggum, <laughs> but like... Yeah, yeah. My brother says I'm going to do real good. Yeah. He says, my penis is burning. <laughs> I forgot to pay taxes. <laughs> In mid-March of 1930, Capone was released from jail a few months early because of good behavior. He's a good guy. Yeah, he's a good guy. A week later, Frank Loesch, the head of the Chicago Crime Commission, put together a public enemies list, which was headed by Alphonse Capone, Ralph Capone, Frank Rio, Jack McGurn, Jack Guzik and all of his other Capone colleagues. That was the name of that movie, Public Enemies. That's right. There yeah. you go. The list was publicized in newspapers and quickly adapted by J. Edgar Hoover as the FBI's list of the most wanted criminals. So now, Al Capone, who wanted so much to legitimize himself as a contributing member of the community, was public enemy number one. He was enraged, humiliated, and thoroughly insulted. As 1930 drew to a close, Capone embarked on a major publicity campaign. He opened up a free soup kitchen for the people who had been thrown out of the work due to the deepening depression. Mm -hmm. During the last two months of the year, the soup kitchen served three free meals a day. The soup kitchen was carefully calculated to rehabilitate his image and to reintegrate himself with the working man, who he realized had become to regard him as another unimaginable, wealthy, and powerful tycoon. Yeah. So Soup kitchen. Soup kitchens. Could I get something besides soup? Shut the fuck up. <laughs> How about chili? <laughs> Okay. What's your favorite soups? Uh, do you like creamy? Well, first of all, do you like creamy or brothy? It depends. Depends. On like if you're going more like ramen or like a like yeah, a broccoli cheddar okay. or something like that. Uh, broccoli cheddar a lot of times is, it tastes extremely canned. No, yeah. I like me a broccoli cheddar I like or it, a clam a chowder. Clam chowder can be good, uh, but I like a, a good chicken noodle soup. And my secret is that I go get Progresso home style. And I take out all those shitty chicken chunks and I put in my own chicken from a rotisserie chicken and then you just let it cook on the on the stove for like a solid 30 minutes. It's amazing. Hmm. Okay. It's cheating. Yeah, I go it's homemade great. on that instead of the progressive, but... Yeah, it's so much easier. Try it out and tell me it doesn't taste like homemade, really, honestly. It's great. It's my I'm little little thing. I'm a chicken corn chowder guy. I like chicken okay. corn chowder. I like yeah, the yeah. chowders. I'm not a huge New England clam chowder guy. They, there like used to be more clams in it. Now there's less. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. And those potatoes are all mealy and shitty most of the time now. Yeah, yeah that's why you got to go fresh on it, man. Yeah. What is the worst soup? Will you eat split pea soup? I was about mm, to say pea soup. No. Yeah, peas are gross anyways. Uh, I like peas. I'll eat fresh peas, warm peas. It has to be fresh, though, like the freshly. soft, like mushy peas? No, no, no. they got to be like freshly. Yeah, yeah. So in the, still in the, like the little casing. It's yeah, fine. yeah, yeah, yeah. But like a can of peas. Yeah. Mushy ass peas? Yeah, not mushy. It's a sweet peas. <laughs> Good. <laughs> Good. Hmm. I also hate Panera bread. Really? Hate it. Overrated, I, shitty, 
uh, way more expensive food. than it should be. Yeah, and there's stupid bread bowls. Get that shit out of here, man. I love me a bread bowl. I like bowl. the bread bowls. Yeah, I like me a soup and a bread Just bowl. give me a bowl, and I'll eat bread with it. I like the bread. I li- yeah, yeah, it makes it all like... It's a novelty. You get more of a meal, I feel like. Yeah, exactly. I'll eat bread with my soup. Yeah, but Not it gets all like bread. wet and mushy. No, and I want delicious. a grilled cheese sandwich to dip into my soup while I eat it. I'll take all of it. I'll take a grilled cheese with tomato soup any day. Yeah, yeah I get a tomato basil. Oh, yeah. yeah that's right. Mm-hmm. Anyway, mm-hmm. we've digressed yet again. So Elliot Ness hit I up. I also think... No, <laughs> <laughs> Italian wedding soup. What do you think about that? It's okay. This take time on yeah. Soup Talk. <laughs> Elliot Ness hit on an idea to strike a psychological blow to Al Capone, something a few intelligent people had ever attempted. Ness had all the trucks polished to a fine shine, and then he arranged for a group of drivers to operate the convoy of all the police trucks in the city. When everything was ready, Ness made his boldest move. He called Capone's headquarters at the Lexington Hotel and bullied his way into getting Capone on the phone himself. Well, Snorky, Ness called him by the nickname only Capone's closest friends used, and I found out that Snorky was a term for like a well-dressed man. Nope, that's so strange. Yep. I think of the snorkels from the TV from show. From the TV the show, the cartoon. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. the snorks. Yep, snorks. Snorky. I just wanted to tell you that if you look out your front windows down on the Michigan Avenue at exactly 11 o'clock, you'll see something that should interest you. What's up, Capone asked, curiosity in his tone. We'll just take a look and see, Ness said before he slammed down the phone. And Elliot Ness is standing out there with his dick in his hand, <laughs> waving it around. No sores. He was he was he was doing the helicopter, clean dick helicopter, just rubbing it in Capone's face. Take your shirt off. <laughs> Twist it around your head, spin it like a helicopter. <laughs> the motorcade came through to Capone's Lexington Hotel headquarters at eleven o'clock on the nose. Moving very slowly, it passed a bunch of Capone's gangsters milling around outside. Ness could see the wild gesticulating and confusion on Capone's balcony. This was a big day for Ness and his team. What we had done this day, he told people later, was enraged the bloodiest mob in criminal history. We knew we had hurled the defiance of the untouchables into their teeth. They surely knew by now we were prepared to fight to the finish. That's such a strange story. Hey, clean up all the cop cars and then we'll drive by his house and make him look at him as we drive by. It's like a different time. I guess it's what they call them, like snorky. Like, unbelievable. Look how clean those cop cars are. I know they mean business now. That's These right. These fucking assholes. Yeah, the last guy didn't clean the cop cars, but now I can tell that fine shine and that right. armor all on the tires. Well, I remember that from Public Enemies. They always uh, were, all the bad guys always had like the V8s and stuff like that. Yeah. That would always outrun all the cop cars and stuff like yeah. that. So I... I'm guessing this was a, a show of like show of force. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Check out my whip. <laughs> <laughs> he said, "Wait a second, Elliot S is ghost riding the whip in my fucking front yard." <laughs> <sighs> Ness has certainly succeeded in making Capone angry. Right after the parade, Capone stormed through his suite, shrieking and breaking things up. Not only had Ness succeeded in enraging Capone. But more importantly, he was making a significant dent in Capone's businesses. Millions of dollars of brewing equipment had been seized or destroyed. Thousands of gallons of beer and alcohol had been dumped, and the largest breweries had been closed. And a soup kitchen. Yeah. Wiretaps on Capone's lieutenants revealed how bad things were getting. The mob had to cut back its graft and payments to the policemen. Beer had to be imported from other areas to supply the speakeasies that used to buy Capone's beer. Things got even worse when they raided a gigantic operation that was supplying 20,000 gallons a day. 
20,000 gallons of beer. Yep. Damn, that's, that's a, a lot. lot. Of beer. I wonder if the beer was good. You think he had like a craft brewing setup or was it just like. Probably tasted like piss, but it got <laughs> too drunk. <laughs> yeah, I, I imagine it tasted like Michelob or Budweiser. You think so? Close. I don't know what old beers tasted like, right? I don't know. They talk about like stuff from back in the 50s where everything was just more like full bodied and, yeah. you know, like didn't taste like it had a bunch of preservatives and shit in it. So yeah. maybe it tastes pretty good. I don't know. I'll give it a shot. I'll drink yeah. some good. Well, how come nobody's opened up a new Al Capone beer? I mean, I feel like there's an opportunity there. It's true. I already got cigars. I know. Yeah, yeah exactly. The key to Capone's conviction on tax charges was not his spending, but proving his income. And the most valuable evidence in that regard originated in his offer to pay taxes. Ralph, his brother and a gangster in his own right, who was tried and convicted of tax evasion in 1930, spent the next 18 months in prison after the conviction in a two-week trial over which Judge Wilkerson presided. Seeking to avoid the same fate, Al Capone ordered his lawyer to regularize his tax position, and although it was not done, his lawyer made crucial admissions when stating the income that Capone was willing to pay tax on for various years, admitting an income of $100,000 in 1928 and 29, for instance. Hence, without any investigation, the government had been given a letter from a lawyer acting for Capone conceding his large taxable income for certain years he had paid no tax on. So pretty much they had letters from a bunch of people that said a bunch of different stuff and how much money he hadn't paid. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. he had a fucking nugget of a pinky <laughs> ring that was $100,000, and he's yeah. like, that's what I made last year. Yeah, that was my income. I, I took saw. my entire income and bought this <laughs> pinky ring. That's right. So on March 13, 1931, Capone was charged with income tax evasion for the 1924 crime in a secret grand jury. On June 5th, Capone was indicted by a federal grand jury on 22 counts of income tax evasion, spanning from 1925 to 1929. He was released on $50,000 bail. He then had 5,000 violations against him of the Volstead Act, which were the prohibition laws. That's right. Yeah, so he had 5,000 charges of uh, illegal uh, alcohol sales against him. Can you him. imagine having to read that from the jury <laughs> to count number one? Yeah. To count oh. 4,767. Oh. Guilty. <laughs> the government charged Capone with evasion of $215,000 in taxes on a total income of a little over a million dollars during a five-year period. Capone was convicted on five counts of tax evasion and was sentenced a week later to 11 years in federal prison fined $50,000 plus $7,700 for court costs, and was held liable for $215,000 plus interest due on his back taxes. Okay. So that was pretty much what he got. 11 years in the pen and a little over a quarter mil that he had to pay back. And it's Fed time, so he's doing all 11. One for one. Yep. Capone was sent to the Atlanta U.S. Penitentiary in May of 1932 at the age of 33. Seemed like he was much older, honestly, by this time. It's because he looked it. But he took power in 26 and then by 32 was already in jail. That's it. Seven years. Good seven-year run. Upon his arrival in Atlanta, Capone was officially diagnosed again with syphilis and this time gonorrhea as well. Oh, Oh, dirty dick. That's right. (laughs) Dirty dick sucking (laughs) lips. for real. He was also experiencing withdrawal symptoms from cocaine addiction. Hell yeah. The use of which had perforated his nasal septum. Damn, man. Mm -hmm. He's going out like, what's your name from uh, Fleetwood Mac? Oh, wow. (laughs) Stevie Nicks. (laughs) Capone was competent at his prison job of stitching soles on shoes for eight hours a day but his letters were barely coherent. 
He was seen as a weak personality and so out of his depth dealing with bullying at the hands of fellow inmates that his cellmate, seasoned convict Red Rudensky, feared that Capone would have a breakdown. Rudensky was formerly a small-time criminal associated with the Capone gang and found himself becoming the protector. The conspicuous protection by Rudensky and other prisoners drew accusations from less friendly inmates and fueled suspicion that Capone was receiving special treatment. No solid evidence ever emerged, but it formed part of the rationale for moving Capone to the recently opened Alcatraz Federal Penitentiary off the coast of San Francisco in August of 1934. So he was getting fucking picked on in prison? Yeah, he was his his syphilitic brain, he was he essentially become almost a, like a, a child. child. Yeah. I got gonorrhea, yeah, too. Yeah, and he couldn't re- he couldn't <laughs> keep up if they were making fun of him. He didn't know it. Like he was just getting picked on yeah. kinda, generally. That guy's but, making fun of me and my gonorrhea. But you would think that like most of those like mobsters and stuff were protected. You would think this so. This guy was jail, trying to protect you know. Him. Yeah, this guy was trying to. You're my friend. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. M O O N. That spells syphilis. <laughs> he said, I want my crayon so I can write my letters home. <laughs> <laughs> On June 23rd, 1936, Alcatraz escape attempty James Lucas stabbed Al Capone in the back with a pair of scissors Ow! from the prison barber shop. Oh. Capone had been working in the laundry area 10 feet away. Lucas was sent to solitary confinement for his attack. After being stabbed, Capone turned and grabbed Lucas and threw him into the wall. The inmates were angry with Capone for not taking part in an inmate strike. Huh. So apparently they were striking about something and Capone said, fuck it. Probably didn't even understand. I was no, about to uh, say, he probably didn't even know what was going on. Yep. Strike like in bowling? <laughs> <laughs> I got a turkey one. Yeah. He said, that guy poked me in the back. It's red stuff coming out of it. <laughs> but <laughs> I just He doesn't know how to do prison very well. <laughs> yeah. Him do prison good. <laughs> yeah. Due to his good behavior and apparently his simple Jack impersonations, Capone was permitted to play banjo in the Alcatraz prison band, the Rock Islanders. That's badass. Which gave regular Sunday concerts for other inmates. Capone also transcribed the song Madonna Mia, creating his own arrangement as a tribute to his wife, May. At Alcatraz, Capone's decline became increasingly evident as neurosyphilis progressively eroded his mental faculties. Syphilis makes my eyes rain. That's right. <laughs> his formal diagnosis of syphilis of the brain was made in February of 38, and neurosyphilis has many manifestations along the central and peripheral nervous system, but Capone's case was notable for making him certifiably insane. He often followed or failed the guard's orders, even at the penalty of severe punishment, less out of defiance than out of an inability to intellectually process them. Occasionally, he wore a strange grin on his face and even dressed up in his winter coat, hat, and gloves while sitting quietly in his heated cell. At other times, he was somewhat lucid. His last few years at Alcatraz were mostly spent in the infirmary wondering what the hell was going on. His wife, May, seized on Al's increasingly odd behavior and petitioned the warden to release him from Alcatraz. The fact that clinched the deal was a formal diagnosis of syphilis of the brain made in February of 38, and Capone was released on November 16th and 39. On the grounds of good behavior and more cognitively his medical condition. So May had to have syphilis too. Oh, you would think. Yeah, it has to have has right? to. or she was taking the medicine. Yeah. Yeah, the mercury in her pee hole. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> God. Oh, that's more reminiscent of Genghis Khan. Yes. Yeah. Wow. So he was just like literally just a complete nutso. Just a total yeah. One just, of the guards is like, This guy's dumb as shit. Like how the hell was he running Chicagoland? Right. 
Capone's life back on the outside was hardly a picnic. His physical and mental health continued to deteriorate, and his syphilis worsened with each year until he passed in Florida of heart failure on January 25th, 1947. He was only 48 years old. Dang. And that, boys, is Al Capone. Wow. 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 I didn't realize that syphilis had um, taken so much of his life towards the end of it. Yeah. I knew that he had syphilis and it caused It was literally like the last 15 years of his 48-year-old life. He just melted down. That just, he lost. Ah! Yeah. Jeez. My pee pee hurts. That's <laughs> <laughs> almost thirty three percent of your life. Yeah, golly, man. Nowadays yeah. you just like go get some antibiotics. You're good to go. You know. Yep. Back out there on them streets. <laughs> it can't stop me. Even AIDS can't stop me, y'all. <laughs> man, look at Magic Johnson. He's been around forever. That's Jeez, real. I know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he, when he he got it, that was like a death sentence. It's, yeah, something's not right there. <laughs> No telling. Awesome. All right. Well, let's get some final scores for our boy Al Capone here. Buddy, lead us off. All right. Well, that was an interesting read there, Randy. Thanks for uh, covering that. Absolutely. Uh, Yeah, I was a little bit surprised there. I didn't realize that he spent the last, you know, like 15, 20 years of his life just almost like a bumbling idiot uh, for the most part. He did some really heinous stuff through the more, I guess, all together there years. You know, dealing with uh, the Pineapple Primary, the St. Valentine's Day Massacre, killing uh, just numerous people and doing whatever he needed to do to be able to um, seize power. And yeah, no, all that is just a crazy story. And at times it's hard to believe as we cover a lot of these people. It's insane as we live our days like our lives day to day that people are out there either now or even in the past doing just so much crazy shit. Oh, yeah. Um, but as we're getting into a final score, I feel like he kind of, I'm going to parallel him a little bit to uh, L. Ron Hubbard. I feel like he ruined just about as many people's lives as L. Ron Hubbard did. So, um, yeah, I'm going to push him up to an 8.83 as a final asshole score for old Al Capone. All right, Al Capone has an 8.83 from Buddy. Mikey, what you got? Well, it's true he did ruin lives and did blow a lot of people up. A lot of those people had it coming. <laughs> That's right. He did uh, get expiration dates on milk, though. Right. He did, and he also built a soup kitchen that fed a lot of people in the Great Depression, and soup was pretty good. He didn't go with split pea. He knew what was going on. <laughs> uh, he gave all, out those bread bowls. He did. He it was the initial Panera bread, which is why I'm raising him to a 10. <laughs> now, the reality is that uh, all the people that, uh, that he killed were living that lifestyle. You know what I mean? Like, he kind of kept it in the crime sphere. Yeah, but that still doesn't justify it, does it? I don't think it justifies it, but it makes it like, you know, it's the the wages of sin or death. You want to play that game, you know, you might get it like a Torio or a colostomy bag. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Big Jim Colostomo. Exactly. Colostomo, (laughs) you know, just shitting himself. I, you know, I've... In a way, uh, you feel bad for him because he was just the horniest son of a bitch, <laughs> and he just couldn't help himself. Just, he had just seen a doctor, though. Like, uh, yeah, but they, like I said, that was they, all they did was just give you mercury back then. There was no <laughs> real cure for it, Doctor Nick. That's it. Hi, everybody. Hi, Al Capone. Yeah, it's true. That was how you treated uh, syphilis. Syphilis was pretty gnarly and gonorrhea. God, I don't even imagine like what Capone's dick would look like. 
You know he wasn't trimming his pubes. That wasn't no. happening. No, no. no it's it like a rainforest down yeah, there. Yeah, his dumpy little body and his syphilitic <laughs> cock. It's just not great. You know, beautiful lips. But, uh, so, yeah, I mean, I think I feel, I th- I'm going to put him with G.G. Allens because he's gross. <laughs> All right. 8.48 for Dirty Dick Al Capone. Nice. Randy, bring us home. Two takeaways. One, they talked about the bombing of the buildings, right, when he extorted the people. Yeah. Sure, some innocent people died there. Yeah. Well, yeah, and extorting people is not cool either. Yeah. Yeah. It, you know. the bill, uh, Everybody that he would bully in order to uh, protect It all came business. back to him in prison, though. It sure did. Hey. He's got, he poked me with something in my back. What so, goes around comes <laughs> back around. So that was, like, I think one of his more heinous things. Right? Like you said, Mikey, like, he kind of killed a lot of own mobsters. They yeah. kind of... You know, it's Darwinism at its finest there with those guys. Yeah. Second takeaway. I wish they would have given John Lovitz the opportunity to play Al Capone. Oh, that would be legendary. Like man. Right? If you did a comedy, yeah. a comedy Al Capone with the syphilitic fucking John Lovitz, that would be incredible. What is this mush you're serving me in prison? <laughs> yeah. I love it. Yeah. God, someone get John Lovitz on the phone there now. John Lovitz says Al Capone. on him. Yeah. Google both of them and tell me I'm not wrong. I love it. All right, my final score. I actually, I liked where you were at, buddy. Um, um, I'm definitely jumping him up because I look at some of the, the the folks on the list. He killed more people than OJ. Yep, um, that we know about. It's true. I'm gonna finish him off in an eight point seven six. Eight point seven six for Randy finishing off. <laughs> finishing <laughs> off Mr. Gonorrhea. Finishing <laughs> off the syphilitic dick of Al Capone. <laughs> All right, with an eight point eight three from Buddy. An 8.48 from Mikey, and an 8.76 from Randy. Al Capone's final asshole score is an 8.69. All right, 8.69. Interesting territory. We've got a couple subjects at 8.67 that definitely suck, one being Jeffrey Epstein. The other is the year 2020. That year was a bitch. Yup. Both came in at 8.67, and just uh, below that was L. Ron Hubbard at 8.83. So in between Jeffrey Epstein, the year 2020, and L. Ron Hubbard falls Al Capone on our asshole scale. Seems like a pretty good spot yeah, for him. Fits pretty good there. I agree. Awesome. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Asshole Court. Be on the lookout next year. Got lots of great new stuff coming to you. Appreciate all you Patreon members uh, for all of your support. We've already mentioned a couple of the shout-outs we've gotten, show suggestions that we're getting from folks. They're coming in. We're recording all of them. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to respond to you. Um, let's keep this dialogue going, folks. We love you. As always, be kind to one another. Have a fucking great 2024, and we will see you next time on Asshole Court.